Hi folks, welcome to a special episode of the On The Head podcast. As a Plymouth-based podcast, we want to put an emphasis on the local football scene, so I got in touch with Plymouth Parkway captain Rob Farkins to talk about his journey into football, dealing with not playing during the coronavirus pandemic, his love of Liverpool FC, and much more. It was great fun recording this with Rob as he got ready for some midweek training, and we hope you'll enjoy it too. Let's get into it. First of all, thanks very much for your time. Um, really appreciate it. Um, what got you into the game? Uh, was it kind of something that was ingrained in you as a as a kid, or, or did you kind of fi- find your own passion for it? No, yeah, definitely. Uh, I was definitely ingrained into it through my family. My, my dad is a, a massive When did you um, kind of start playing like um, competitively? As in, maybe not, for example, like uh, in in the local game as you do now. But when when did you kind of realise that you wanted to to play football uh, week in week out? Do you still come to Dawlish often now? Because uh, I live in Dawlish. <laughs> Because the um the Astros changed a lot now since since you were last there, um they've kind of taken away that rubbish sandy stuff and they've made it into like a proper proper four G pitch now. Um so um yeah it's it's a lot better now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a little bit better than it was. Um, yeah, um, you mentioned the the academy players and stuff. That kind of brings me on to a point. I was going to talk about it later, but um, I think it's quite 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 an important point, really, particularly in in the modern game. Um, you mentioned the academy, uh, obviously players being being let go from that. Have you had any more recent experiences of being let go by an academy, and how how do players deal with it? Because we have sadly seen examples of of players really struggling after they let go after they after they are let go by an academy because it's. I guess it's quite a difficult thing to deal with for a for a player. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's a massive thing. I think it's a massive thing for 
Yeah, I've got quite a few. I've got quite a few um, few, few aspects that I could talk about here, really. So, so for me personally, um, I was 15 years old when Talkie suddenly broke down, uh, roughly 2004, 2005, I think it was. Um, where, yeah, where it just closed. So, so the year after 16, I'd have been up from a YTS. So um, I was coming to quite a crucial time, really, when when you think you get a two-year YTS or a one-year YTS and then a first-year pro. Um, so it was kind of a crucial time for a, a player that wanted to maybe push on in the game like myself, and like probably like most of the players. But to, to be let go was... I can't really talk about the feelings, because I don't really remember them, to be fair. But I imagine if I'd spoken to my mum or my dad, they'd probably say that I was, was pretty gutted. But for me, it was a case of, well, what's next? Um, and at that time, uh, Plymouth had some half decent centre half playing for them that were probably a lot taller than me and a lot uh, uh, physically robust more than I was at that time. I was a bit of a late, later developer at 17, 18. Um, so I probably was perhaps overlooked because of my size or whatever uh, for the position that I played. So um, so then at 15, I had an, in, um, an induction day with the army. They come into our school. And that's what led me to the next 12 years of my life, really. I've dedicated it to, to the British Army, and it's only to this day I've just left now. Um, so it was a case of that they, they probably saw an opportunity around our area where, where something had broke down, and then they, they, they capitalised on it. But leading on to further about how, how I think it, it could affect people, yeah, I do think it does affect them, it does affect them massively. And especially for players around our, our neck of the woods from Bristol down, you, you look at the teams, you've only got excellent and talk here, you really? If, you, if you're from anywhere below really Bridgewater, you're not going to get a look in at Bristol Rovers or Bristol City. You know, you've always only a bit petty. I haven't really got an academy, it's trying, but so you've only got Plymouth or Exeter, um, to which we know the success of Exeter City's academy. Um, so yeah, it's a, it is a big thing, um, but I, I think it depends on the individual and, and perhaps how how he's, his family are, and sometimes if he's I don't know, it's, it's quite a difficult question because every every circumstance is different. But I, I, yeah, I think it, it does depend on the individual how they take it. Do they do they push on and think, do I want to be the next Jamie Vardy that goes and plays on me for five years and then can be a, um, a golden boot one in the Premier League? It all depends, I suppose, doesn't it, on, on the person. Yeah, um, and you, you spoke about kind of your, your physicality as well. You're, you're a centre half now. Um, you've played for Newton Abbott, Tiverton, Biddeford, Truro, uh, and Taunton um, before now. We'll kind of touch on those a little bit more as well um, later on. But um, you actually started um, not as a centre half, didn't you? You were you were a striker before. Um, what made you change? Um, but yeah, 
think it was the, the, the bigger I got, I'm now 6'2 and, and 15 stone. So it was always, I don't think I'd have been a striker for long anyway. So, But as a kid, I was always, for, for Talk United, as a 11 to 15-year-old, I was always um, a centre-half playing at School of Excellence level, academy level. So um, I don't know why the change went to play at uh, centre-forward for a local team. Just, I think it was just one of those things, just just to get involved in men's football, probably, and, and, and build me up, get robustness and toughness inside me. And obviously, having played for for those clubs before, obviously you've been at Parkway since since twenty seventeen. Um, is is this the club? I suppose, obviously, you'll you'll have um, more times in your career after this as well. But um, do you feel like you're at home now at Plymouth Parkway, or, or um, is it kind of were they all different in in their own way? Parkway have always um, will always be home now for me. Although although I'm a Torquay boy, I've I've, I've been uh, pretty much loved down in Plymouth um, by Plymouth Parkway and and everyone around there. So it, it, it's a lovely it's a, it's a lovely club. It bright. Um, there's never any problems um, with anything. The pitch is great. The supporters club's great. They've got a good allegiance with my dad. Um, so it's a place where we always enjoy. Um, but also Truro will have a, a soft spot in my heart where we had a, a massive success story with them and, and that'll be probably the, the best day that I'll probably uh, unless we go on to bigger better things this year with the Vars or something like that turning in a, um, a playoff final winning the Southern League um, will probably be the best achievement I've had and this season as well obviously it's been um I, I guess we'd say quite a good season um, for Plymouth Parkway. Um, you yourself as well, uh, you've scored three goals um, this campaign, obviously before the COVID pandemic hit. Um, what have you made of the season so far? Obviously, I know um, there's been a big break from it because of COVID, um, but it has been going really, really well for you guys. Yeah, we've built a good, good squad this year. Um, we've built a more robust squad where uh, season last season we were... We were technically a lot better, but we, we just didn't have a little bit of grit. And I think ultimately that's what cost us in the uh, in the Vars quarterfinal. I think we just come a bit um, a bit stuck where we was they they we played went up ten hours up the road to, to the other end of the country, and they just had a little bit more uh, a bit between their teeth, as, as you call it, you know, a bit more toughness. Uh, where we went and we, uh, listen, we were a great footballing side, but when we was a bit backed against the wall, we didn't really have a lot, and they were thoroughly deserved winners um, but this year we, we're we more like them we're more we're more tough got got better players in in better areas but with that bit more determination and grit that's no disrespect to the, the previous players but I just think we're a bit more better equipped this year um, and, and last season as well obviously we, we had this um, documentary from, from Mike Parrish who's also um, a Marjon student and he's uh, it was a brilliant documentary round our way Um have you have you watched the documentary that he made on on the club? Yeah, of course I have. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, Mike's Mike's brought brought our club on um, leaps and bounds. Absolutely superb. The stuff that he's done, and and I think even for the university, he's brought he's brought a great name to Marjon University, um, and and ultimately he, he, he's taken Parkway to a level where he's gets probably getting seen up and down the country, where a lot of clubs are probably envious of what he's doing and what he's bringing the club. But ultimately, it's helping him at the same time, isn't it? He's using Plymouth Parkway as a platform um, 
to, to develop himself with there's a lot of good people with a lot of knowledge that can help him as well so I think it's a it's a it's a party that's working well both sides yeah that's gonna be my next question about kind of what it's what it's done for the club do you feel um, a tangible difference now within Parkway compared to um, before Mike's arrival oh 100 percent Hundred percent. You, you uh, like, for instance, I was walking in Torquay and um, Jamie Reed, who now was Torquay striking now plays for Mansfield. Even he stopped me in the street and said, "Fuck, it's like that documentary, fantastic." So you, you're talking level League Two players are watching the documentary, wow. uh, living up in Mansfield. So, so the documentary is elevating to professional players that are, that are watching it, and they're, they're even commenting how superb it is. So it, it's taken partly to a level where. Probably a lot of teams at step four and step three are recognising Plymouth Parkway before they're even there. Maybe that's not a good thing in, ter- in terms of we, we might be the team that they're looking out for, but it's raising the platform and it's raising the club's profile to, to somewhere where they want to be um, and, and, they're, and they're aspiring to be. Um, so it's taken us to the next level, yeah. Yeah, and um, obviously that was filmed at a time before COVID. Um, and it always, I mean, especially during the documentary, it always seemed like a, a real community club with um, all the fans getting involved. And it just seemed like a really tight community that you've got. Um, obviously, we know there's never a massive amount of fans at non-league games compared to, say, the Premier League. Um, but losing those fans due to the uh, coronavirus pandemic, how much of a difference did that make to you, um, if, if any? And, and how did how did you adapt to it? It's quite funny, really, because we were only allowed uh, 300. Wasn't it? I think we was only allowed 300 this season. So we sold out every single game. And off the top of me, had maybe 10 or 11 games, something like that, we played at home. So we sold out every game. So it did make a big difference. But we used to about 300. But the big thing for us was we could have done with 600 because our goal fans had nowhere to go. So they were all wanting to come to us. So we were selling our tickets out fast where we could have sold probably double, maybe triple amount because 10,000 Argyle fans probably could have watched Argyle. Um, so so it, it did make a difference. Um, but we're used to having good numbers come through our gates, do you know what I mean? Because, as you said, it's a strong community. We've got a big supporters group. And when we when we played like in the Vars last season, going back to that, we... We were taking 50, 40, 50 people away every time of us. And, and some of the journeys we had up to Norfolk and, and up to Newcastle and Southampton and, and all teams there. So it's testament to the, to the supporters club for, for putting the time and effort into following us up and, up and down the country. Yeah, absolutely. A, a, a credit to them. Um, as well, during this pandemic, obviously with lockdown and, and not being able to play football and, and train for the last, um, well, however many weeks it's been, it's been a, it, time doesn't really exist anymore. But um, has has mental health kind of um, played a factor for you during the pandemic? You know, not being able to to go to training every every night and, and obviously playing football at, at the weekend has that kind of affected you mentally? And, and again, kind of how have you dealt with that? Me, me personally, I, I, I'm quite lucky. I don't really suffer any. Any mental health, like I'm quite a quite a positive person, and uh, unfortunately, I don't I don't suffer with anything. So, but it does it does affect me. Like, listen, Saturdays for most of my life has always been football. Whether I go with a dad, whether I went to Talk United as a ball boy, whether I played myself for the past 15, 16 years. So it has been a massive part of me. Um, so always on a Saturday, you're looking at three o'clock, thinking, well, this is this is normally our time where we step out over the white line. 
and it just releases some energy that you've always you build up for the week and then you prepare for the weekends or a Tuesday night or whatever. Listen, don't get me wrong, we don't miss the away Tuesday night trips getting back at one, two in the morning. But ultimately, that's that's what non-league football's about. So you do miss it deep down, but you, when you're waking up and you've had eight hours sleep, you, you're happy that you haven't had it. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, it, it does, but... Quite a lot of players and, and supporters as well. You've got to take into that because I know a couple of our supporters have, have suffered a, a little bit of mental health through it as well. So, um, yeah, so it, it, it's, it, it's a massive loss. It's a massive dent to all our weeks and our months and, and, and our year, really, isn't it? But for, for what's going on in the world, you've got to bite your lips, I think, in regards to football. I love the silver lining there um, of, uh, of getting getting a lot of sleep on, on Tuesday nights. I didn't really think about that, but um, how obviously you, you mentioned the, the long trip as well last season. Um, how tiring is that trip to get to an away game, having travelled all those miles, and then you've got to play a game of football? Is is that difficult for you? Or is it quite easy to just kind of switch to footballer mode and not think about the journey you've just had? It, it, I, I, it honestly sometimes depends on the bus the bus that you have like. Um, it all depends on the, on the route that the driver takes. Sometimes if he goes up the 303 and you're going up and down these bendy lanes and and, and, and that does take it out of you. It gives you a headache and you're dehydrated and sometimes it's really hot or sometimes it's really cold and sometimes it's a bit unpredictable. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you're there and, and, you, and you're there to play football. So you've got to forget what happens. You try and get there early enough to have a walk and shake your legs out and uh, always have a cup of tea. Uh, and, and you try and prepare yourself that you know what you're there to do you're there to go and win football matches and for, and for a team aspiring to go as high as we can we, it's, it's turn up and, and it's business as normal whether you're at home whether you're away whether you're in Torquay, Plymouth whether you're in Newcastle it's always the same objective get three points win the game but it is sometimes hard don't get me wrong it sometimes can take 20 minutes half hour like a lot of, a lot of times not last season before we, we could have been 1-0 down at half-time because it's been a slow start. But that's that's where the that's where your experience and your knowledge comes into play in regards to, look, you know what you need. You, you need to get yourself going. And, and as probably a, a leader and, and quite an experienced older lad, it, it's down to me to sometimes get the players going as well. I guess it's a, a fairly obvious question to ask um, but how much have you been looking forward to having the game back because especially at local level I, I guess the the social element is is huge as well as obviously just playing football yeah listen we have we have good party buses because every away <laughs> win is, is always is always a party bus so listen <laughs> our, our camaraderie is massive part of Plymouth Parkway there's it, whether it's the youngest newest player that we've got he'll always be initiated in and, and welcomed in um, or whether it's a new supporter, he'd be welcomed in and he'd be able to drink on the bus with us, whatever, uh, whatever it takes. It's, it's, it's part of a family, he joins a family that we all are um, and we all support. So ultimately, it's it, it's a massive part of our social life, having a drink after the game and, and just chatting football, really, because I, I think a lot of people at the minute will want to get out and just watch and talk and get away from like the news and the doom and gloom that's been around for the past 12, 13 months. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a massive release once we are back. Um, so, yeah. And moving on to kind of, a, I, I guess, a higher level, I would, uh, I, I guess, of, of football. You're a Liverpool fan as well. Um, it's obviously not been 
a particularly great season um, for the Reds for, for various different reasons. Um, are you still optimistic though, that they can achieve something this season? Obviously, they're, they're still in the Champions League. They've got Real Madrid next. Um, what are your kind of uh, predictions for, for what they can do for the rest of the year? Yeah, injury. Look, in, you take any injury to any side, it's 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 always it's always going to be hard. One big injury can can always hurt you. But you look at Liverpool; they've taken four four big injuries, and then they've they've, they've taken their the engine out of the midfield. They've taken their their block in Fabinho. They played him at centre half. So sometimes when you look at it, it's easy. It's easy for the Man United fans and the Chelsea and the Man City fans to sit and laugh. But deep down, as a football person, you know whether it's Liverpool, Man United, Man City, whatever, whoever it is, you, you lose the calibre of players or, or, or the, the spine of a football club. You're always going to struggle. So it's been a tough year, but ultimately it's part and parcel of football. And like I said... It, like I said at the start of the season, I always felt that if Liverpool kept their players fit, they probably would have won the league. But looking back, would they now? I don't know. Man City have been superb, haven't they? To go 20, 21 games, whatever, wins on the bounce. It's phenomenal. So, um, my, my, I don't know, my predictions, I think we'll beat Real Madrid in the, in the quarterfinals. Of the, and then you've got Chelsea, so you've got a team that, that know each other well, got a bit of history. Um, and I'd probably fancy Liverpool there as well. So the path to the final is probably not the hardest where you're avoiding Bayern Munich and um, you're avoiding Man City. So Liverpool, look, I think Liverpool will go into it optimistic. I don't think they've got anything to lose because, uh, like you said, the players that they've lost, they, they may as well go into it with all guns blazing. So let's sit back and enjoy it although we've got Tavistock next week so I miss a game Tuesday night we've got to wear away at Tavistock and a friendly uh, <laughs> well I mean so um, I, I guess that's that's a question as well so like does it if, if Liverpool are playing on the same night as you are on the same day as you are do you spend any time in your game thinking about it, or I guess obviously you've got a little bit too much to think about uh, whilst you're playing your own game? But is that is that something you you think about whilst you're playing? Yeah, I do. I, I, of course, I do because I, I love Liverpool not just as much as I love Parkway. But my dad's near enough at every game, so he, if he's missing it, I'm missing it. So he's always following it. So he'll always let me know as I'm walking in at half time what the score is, or if, if there's a lull, or if there's a break in play, or I sometimes ask him, but it's very rare that Liverpool play at three o'clock on a Saturday. But unless it's unless it unless it's a not a, not a bigger game, you know. So um, it, it doesn't happen too often. But it's Tuesday nights where it does happen, or the Wednesday nights. Um, and obviously, you mentioned the the injuries that they had. Um, a lot's been made of of Liverpool's defensive uh, situation. They've had 18 centre-back partnerships in all competitions this season. Um, I feel like, obviously, you're, you're one of the better people to ask because I think maybe people underestimate the importance of continuity at the back. So, as a centre-half yourself, how vital is it to have that familiarity within the back three of, of the two central defenders and, and the goalkeeper? Yeah, I think it's massively important. When, you, when I look at my closest relationships with people that I've always played with, within my, my military background he, he's arguably one of my best friends outside of football and and inside of football so my relationship with my centre-half partner in the military is is as close as it can get it can't get any closer and also a good, a good relationship with the keeper I think between the, 
two centre-halves and a keeper, there's got to be a good relationship um, and, and a massive element of trust. And then the same with Plymouth. So at Plymouth, I'm, I'm probably closest to Kyle, the keeper. Um, and now Mike Lanchigan's come. We've got a lot of experience on past. So, so we, and we come with both similar sort of ages. He's slightly older than I am, but we, it just works. You know, sometimes you know it works and sometimes it doesn't. Um, but very rarely, I, I, I don't think I can come across too many occasions where I've, I've had not a good relationship with either the person next to me or the person behind me. It's very rare that you do that or find that. And as a defender as well, is there is there somebody in the professional game, either either past or present, um, that you look at and try to kind of aspire towards? It pains me to say it, but for me, if I if I could just take one player and take his club and everything away, it'd be John Terry without a shadow of a doubt. Um, I, I believe the best English centre half we've ever had. Personally, I think he could do everything with his feet. He could. He was aerially unbelievable. His strength, his reading, his his goal line clearances, his blocks, his his deter everything. He had every for me. He had everything. So yeah, it's always me. I hear a lot of people saying, "Oh, Rio Ferdinand, John." It was always JT for me. And and although he's Chelsea, but yeah, it's always John Terry for me. Yeah, it's interesting because um, I, I I almost thought you were going to say Virgil um, for a second there, but I guess maybe he's a bit too recent. Um, yeah, he's a lot different to me. Van Dijk's a lot different. I don't see any similarities between. Not that I'm anywhere near the calibre that they are, but he's a lot more laid back. He's he's calm, and I'm quite vocal, ferocious, and and quite like. Um, you know, like our personalities are too different. You can just tell on the football pitch. But right. John Terry was—I can see a lot more of myself in John Terry. Do you know, um, you don't really tend to see Virgil throwing himself on the floor because he's quick enough to get there over two yards, or he reads the game probably that little bit quicker, maybe. Um, but I more prefer the diehard John Terry blocks, you know, cut heads and, and all that. So, yeah, I'll always remember that um, that 2010 World Cup game. Um, when he he slid his face across the floor just to just to try and block a shot. It was, yeah, uh... yeah, I remember. Yeah, I do remember. Yeah, <laughs> and that's what that's what I love, and that's what that's what all the boys know me. I'll I, I probably make five five to ten goal line clearances a year. There's just, I think it's just that sometimes there's a bit of an art to it. You just gamble where they're going to go, um, and that's the way it is. I remember. Uh, oh, it must have been uh, five six years ago. We played against. The French, the French literally in a competition we have called the Kentish Cup. It's one of the oldest cups in the in the history of football. Right, and um, they, they were they were strong favourites. They'd won it for a couple of years, and they'd had seven professional players, couple three Champions League players playing for them. And uh, we, we started the game. We started really well, and then they had a spell of five or ten minutes on half an hour. And uh, their main player, number ten, had just got the ball, took a couple on, and for some reason. I was at the back. I was at the back stick or something. Was eighteen yards out. I've just peeled off, luckily, and gone to the back back post. And he's whipped this cross, and he's it's got top corner. I've just I've edited it off the line and saved it. And we went on to win the game one nil. Um, and a lot of people say, "What are you thinking?" Like because <laughs> you're playing everyone on side. When you think when you look when you think about, it, I'm playing everybody on side. Um, anything could have happened if a keep drops it. Someone's got to tap him. But it was just an instinct I had, and, and I did it, and, and, and luckily it paid off and we won the game. Well, no, it kept a clean sheet. How many kind of other moments would you say you've had them that you could look at and go, 
I'm going to remember that for for the rest of my career or the, or, or the rest of my life. Um, how, how many how many kind of moments like that, moments of brilliance, um, are, are you going to be kind of fond of um, when you when you eventually decide to hang up the boots? It's nice when you. T- I'll tell you. What, I don't know. I don't really have too many myself. I'll tell you what. The Parkway supporters remind you of the first game I played for that. I, I come in. Oh, 2017. Did you say it was? Yeah. 2017. Yeah. Um, and we played. Bob, we had Bobman and the FA Vars, and they just come. Uh, Parkway had just lost their first game in the league, and uh, Lizo rang me in a week and whatever done a deal, and, and I was in, and then he said. Um, Straight in Bobman, and that's a big, quite a big derby because of the hatred between Lee and, and and Gilby or whatever it was. And I remember give, give a penalty away after about fifteen minutes. I could hear a few, I could hear a few people in the back. I think, who's this guy that we've signed here? Like, do you know what I mean? And give it. He's played here. He's done this. He's done that. And obviously, I've come in give a penalty away. But that's football. They always they always remind me that quite a few of the supporters always give me a bit of jip about it. But that's football. But I, a couple of games that stand out to me is always um, playoff semi final, Hungerford Town. We won one nil. Um, I, I had a, a, a superb game then. Um, kept a clean sheet in the semi. Kept two clean sheets playoff final as well against St Neots. Um So yeah, they're two games that stand out. But I don't I don't really remember. Too many. I'd have if I'd have to go and ask my old man. Really, he, he'd remember. He'd probably remember more more so individual moments. But that 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 French game always stands in my head because we had a Bristol City. Um, we had the Bristol City UC coach there, and, and he always said, he said, I, I don't understand how how you did it. And it was it was just one. Of, it was just one of those situations that stuck in my head for some reason. Do you think that comes from? from your experience um, kind of making that decision to go to go to the back stick or is it just sort of this this instinct um, that you have as a as a defender yeah I think it's I think it's an instinct because I didn't think I don't think I ever thought about it I just it just something that happened you know so it was it, it was excuse me it was just a case of I did it but if I look back at it look don't get me wrong it, anything could have happened in that situation couldn't it like I said someone could have had a tap in and I've played everyone on side so it was a case of do it and then face the consequences Look, I, I, as, as well I'm a player that plays on the edge I'm, I've, I think I've given what well, I've played 11 games this year I think I've, I've given three penalties away but I'm a player that maybe I might block 50 shots a season but I'm likely to, to, to be on the wrong end of a couple of decisions as well although I don't believe all three penalties were penalties probably only one was a penalty when you look back at the highlights but um, I've run that risk and, and that's ultimately the players know that so it, it is what it is I suppose I've always been quite intrigued you say that some of them weren't penalties I've always been quite intrigued as to the conversations that happen between players and, and referees so if if you can see the penalty that you really don't think was a penalty and, and they miss it for example is is there like a cheeky dig at the referee um, afterwards or, or do you just kind of get on with it yeah there is I don't have very good relationships with referees it's, it's quite clear to see if you look at my, <laughs> my history within yellow cards and whatever but um, I think now the sin bin's come in it's taken a lot of that away um, and it does depend on the referee as well his attitude and his application of how he deals with it so, look, I've come up with a few and, and they give you a bit back and, and that's quite nice sometimes and uh, as long as both people, both parties know the line I think you, you, you can have 
a good relationship with the referee. There's some around Plymouth that are fantastic that I have a good relationship with. There's some that absolutely despise me because I tell them how I think or what I think at the time. Probably wrongly on my part because they're there to do a job, but sometimes it is what it is in us. Yeah, and it's, I guess is that just more like um, the, the banterous side of, of football? Because there is a lot of banter that happens on, on the pitch, especially in, in the lower leagues. Um, so is is it sometimes more kind of, I guess, aggressive and malicious, or is it always just sort of a, a bit of a bit of banter between you and the ref? No, it's a bit of both, I think. They're only human. I know that I do understand they're only human, but sometimes some of the things that, that get said and... Oh, happen or whatever whatever the situation and then sometimes you look back at the footage and you think like I was right or that is bad or something like that you know yeah. that's, that's hindsight's a wonderful thing isn't it you know the, the good saying there's ghosts but sometimes I just think come on you, you've got to be got to be able to see it but you know, like I make mistakes I've, I've done enough things I've given enough penalties away I shouldn't have dived in or whatever. So you got you just take on the chin and move on. You just got to hope that you you get one. Look, we get them, we get them as well, don't we? You know, I've been on the well. We should never have got a penalty or shouldn't have got a free kick or whatever. So you just take it as it comes, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I guess it can it can work both ways, I suppose. Um, you, you mentioned the sin bin. I think you were one of the first, if not the first, um, to pick up uh, a sin bin. Um, <laughs> I, 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 yeah. yeah, I guess the, the the only question really is how did that feel? <laughs> well, that that's another funny that's another funny thing that stands out to me. I was partways first, but it was a it was a case where I was having an argument with my own player and the referee <laughs> and the referee simbered me. And then when you go back and listen to the footage, and it, and it's clear for me to, you can hear everything that I say. Um, <laughs> but that's, hey, look, that's it. And uh, he had a decision to make, and he made it. And, Ultimately, it's always me that I'm always on the receiving end of them. I'm never, I never get the good ones to me. <laughs> um, so, what you were saying to your teammate? I guess um, it's probably not something you can say on the on the podcast, right? No, yeah, <laughs> nah, I definitely say it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I would ask it, it you then. Was, it was to Mikey Williams at the time, right? So, um, yeah, I won't repeat it. Yeah, Mikey, obviously one of one of your teammates. He's been at Parkway for a long time as well. I wanted to ask you as well about um, Matt Wright and and Ryan Richards um, this season. Ryan Richards particularly has been smashing in the goals um, this season, and uh, he scored a hat trick in that ten two win that you had um, earlier on. I'll ask you about that as well um, in a little bit. But what have you made of of Ryan Richards' impact at the club? Yes, it, Ryan's been a bit different. Um, he come with Cousy. He wasn't. He wasn't one of. Um, he wasn't one of the players that um, initially stood out, but since he's come in, he was like unbelievable. He's, he's, talk about people's eye for gold. I, I don't think I've ever come across someone so so sharp and, and quickly do it. You know, so his impact within the team has been absolutely superb for us. Um, so yeah, it's been a great addition for our football club, and the goals that he's scored has, has probably proved pivotal in our recent results. And that um, tense win against against Street FC, you scored in that one as well. Um, what 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 was that like? That must have been quite surreal to to score ten goals in a game. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's hard to remember because it was that long ago, really. Wasn't it? That was one of our last games, wasn't it? That was our last league game, I think. Uh, um, like, yeah, last right, league yeah. game because you played a, a Vars game after that, and then that was the last one. 
Yeah, so, yeah, no, it was weird. It was just like everything that we touched just went in. Um, so, yeah, it was one of them situations. I don't think you'd probably ever come across it again. Um, but I don't know, it was a weird game, really. It was like we haven't played well. We haven't played well, but we scored... We come, we come in at half-time, I think it was 5 nil or something, and it, we, everyone was looking about, thinking, yeah, we'll have a bit of that. And then, we went out, <laughs> and, then, and then the lights went off, and there was only about seven minutes to go, and we um, we ended up scoring another three after that or something. <laughs> and it was just bizarre. Yeah, it was just really bizarre. I guess, is, is that one of those kind of magical nights that, that you'll remember forever, and maybe... Um, you look at it and think, I, I couldn't like we could never recreate that. We could never do that again. Yeah, hundred percent. I don't think. I don't think, especially in my playing career, I don't think that'll ever happen again. I don't think. I, especially at the level that we're playing at step five against a team that was, I think at the time, second or third in the league. It was us, Tavistock, and then I think it was Street at third place. So we, you, you're thinking this is going to be keep this tight, especially at home on a midweek game. Anything can happen. So our, our plan was to keep it tight and then and then attack it. Probably go into the clubhouse in the second half, but as it was, we were farmed up, and it was sinking oh, nice and easy now. Um, and kind of going back to to your teammates, is there any any particular teammate at the club that you have a a, a really good affinity with, or is it? So so tight that you all just get on with each other really well. Uh, yeah, at any football club, look, there's always groups. You always there's always little tight bonds and and stuff. And me being the only tall key boy, I used to have Nick Milton with me, um, two tall key boys. But at the minute, I'm the only tall key lad, so I travel down on my own. And and when if the boys are having a drink, I've either got to get a train home, got to get a cab home, or, or whatever it is. So so it's, it's it's a bit different. Like I have a lot of them are schoolmates or mates in Plymouth and that. So I. But I, I, I get on quite well with everyone. I'm quite an easy going, quite an easy going lad. I've been here four and a half years, so it's a it's a it's quite an easy transition, really. I suppose. No, I played with a lot of players before, like Matt Wright and and people like that. We played for years at other clubs, um, got each other to different clubs at different stages. Ultimately, got him here. Um, so yeah, so it's quite easy, really, and, and 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 especially in our club where we spend so much time together on buses and, and things like that, we uh, we have a strong bond between the whole team, and there's no we don't have any bad eggs, uh, which we've had in the past. But yeah, we've got out of it now. So, and um, I I, I guess on 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 the kind of note of of travelling together and, and being together a lot of the time, what do you do on those long haul trips? I can imagine what you do on the way back after you've just got a win, um, but. <laughs> On on the way there, what kind of things do you get up to? Like, do you, do you get some cards out? Do you sort of just kind of focus and stay quiet, or or what what kind of things do you do you get up to just to keep yourselves entertained on the way there? And different again, different players, different different things. But we're, we're, there's always the same culprits at the back of the bus that are messing <laughs> about, having a laugh. You're just trying to you're just trying to make the time go a bit quicker. Do you know, I'm used to bus journeys with the military, but yeah, we have a great laugh. Um, there's five or six of us that sit in the back and. And just just have a joke and all that, so yeah, it's all good. So, but some players just like get their headphones on, watch a film or whatever. Me personally, I can't I can't read or I can't I, I can read, but I don't I can't read on a on a bus or, or watch a film. It would just give me an headache and make me probably a bit car sick. <laughs> so, um, in terms of so you spoke about your teammates and, and your affinity with them in terms of players you've you've come up against is there anyone that immediately springs to mind as someone that 
that you've you've played against and you've thought, wow, this this guy was good. Um, who I'll tell you what, there's a player called Justin Bennett. He used to play for Gosport, and he was one player that always always scored whenever I come up against him. <laughs> and and I, I've got to know him a little bit um, from when he played around where I'm based now. And I, I used to have a pint with him after game, and, and we used to talk. And he remembers he he always used to think this is a tough tough game, but he always used to nick a goal. And it, and that's just one name that I always always remember. He used to just nick a goal out of whatever it was a tiny little situation and he's picked up picked up sometimes the winning goal at 2-1 or whatever but I don't think I was ever at fault for many but it's always a case where you think well the striker scored so you've got to look at someone that's tensely the centre half <laughs> <laughs> so as as the captain as well um, I, I guess on the pitch you have the responsibility do you feel that responsibility off the pitch like after after a negative result where say someone's just got a hat-trick against you you've you've lost heavily which you haven't done this season at all to be fair um, but do you, do you kind of feel that responsibility a little bit more than everybody else as as the skipper um, kind of yeah because I suppose you, you're the focal figure for the boys that they look for you for a little bit of extra if they need it or whatever um but I think every player feels that, you know, no, no, we don't ever, we never want to lose or we don't want to do anything like that. But it's a case of sometimes, that's football, isn't it? Where you, and, and if you get beat by the better side, you sometimes just hold your hands up and applaud the team for beating you. And then if you're not on it, you listen, you can't be on it every game for 50 games a season. So we look at it sometimes where yeah, they're fully deserved. And what's the, the best ground that, that you've been to? You've travelled a lot. You've travelled many miles in, in your career. Um, what's the the nicest stadium that, that you think you've played at? Uh, Forest. I played at Forest in front of 12,000 people last year in a game of remembrance against the Germans. No, 2018 it was. Yeah, and scored. And scored at the... Um, wow. <laughs> Uh, I can't remember. We got beat three-one. Don't get me wrong. And two goals were my fault. Oh. <laughs> I, scored, so I don't tell people that normally. I just say, "Yeah, I've scored there." So, no, it was a, a situation like that's probably the best. I had one more question to ask you, and it's probably um, it's probably the most important one I'll ask you tonight. And my mates at uni will be livid if I don't. Um, what is your go-to meal deal? So you go to Tesco's, you're looking for a meal. What's what's your go-to selection? <laughs> It would be probably uh, an all-day breakfast sandwich or a chicken and stuffing like it. Um, sandwich. Or, if it's a match day and I'm getting a meal deal, it would be um, a bacon and chicken um, pasta, pasta bowl or whatever they call it with um, a millionaire's chocolate brownie that you get. And what the drink be? The drink would be something like um, an innocent drink, a sparkling innocent drink, water, something like that. That's an excellent choice. That's brilliant. I think that's a good one to end on as well. All right, Rob, thank you so much for your time this evening. I really do appreciate it. Um, good luck with the rest of the season. Um, I'll be keeping an eye on, on, on you boys as you progress. And um, yeah, best of luck. Thank you so much for your time tonight. Yeah, no problem at all, Rob. As you've heard, Rob is on great form and he's a genuinely great guy to talk to and it's great to see he'll be returning to the pitch very soon indeed. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed recording it. Make sure to follow us on Spotify and stay tuned for our next podcast. Until then, take care, be nice to each other and goodbye.